0: Well, here we are again uh it's the same place. we're here for an annual team meeting. so I thought for another uh Cote show edition I'd sit down with bridget as i as i I guess relative to other people frequently do <laughs> <laughs> so uh here, here here's, like, here's like something I, I've thought I've cooked up that I should ask people. So you go out and you, you speak at conferences a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm, I'm, I've, I've seen, you know, as, as I like to say, your stump speeches a few Indeed. times. But, but what, are, what are some new ones that you've been thinking about that maybe you only have a title for or you don't mm-hmm. quite like that you're thinking over doing? You told me you had, like, four. Yeah. But just like, just, like, pick one it's of true. them. us let's, let's go over it.
1: Um, so I think one that I'm pretty excited about doing this year is... Uh, I'm, I'm going to give a talk with the incredibly ba- uh, basic title: "Computers are easy, people are hard."
0: Ah, oh, okay, okay.
1: <laughs> which is it's going to hit on a lot of the themes from last year's stump speech. Yeah. But without perhaps misleading people into thinking I'm going to talk about containers, which I may, or orchestration, which I may, or platforms, which sure, sure. Because the easy part is, of course, a lie. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. They're not
1: easy. They're incredibly complex. Yeah. But the socio-technical interactions that we use to power all of this computer mumbo-jumbo are also incredibly complex and messy.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a certain, like, concision to being categorical, mm-hmm. right? And, 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 and as, as I'm often chided when I'm having discussions, like... To reword it, it's it's uh, computers are hard, but people are really hard, right? Like it's more of a scale. Exactly. But I think I think your your title of it is more more appropriate because that is that's also the thing that technologists I think get frustrated about is like why can't you figure this computer out, right?
1: <laughs> well, and it's like I could figure this computer out if you would make up your mind what you wanted,
0: or <laughs> yeah, oh, I don't yeah, know yeah.
1: how about priorities? Yeah. Or the good old hashtag no estimates movement.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so so what, I mean, in thinking through it, like what do you? Uh, I don't know, like, what, do you, what are the hard people problems? Like, how yeah. would you kind of list those out?
1: I think some of them have to do with how we increasingly, I know here at Pivotal, and also just what I see out in the world, in the market, and what have you, we're working on um, globally distributed teams, on globally distributed organizations. This idea of you know we're blocking for Alice or Bob to come back to the meeting really mm. starts to scale out not well at all when Alice or Bob is in Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know we're in we're in sort of sunny San Francisco today.
0: Yeah. know, that would actually be a really good topic because that that comes up with every single organization I talk with, and and it's sort of uh, I feel I feel like the the sort of like. Thought leaders of how to do software better have kind of an intractable a take it or leave it position of like you have to be co yes. which uh, which I don't think is like
1: must be willing practical. to relocate to San Francisco.
0: Yeah, yeah. I,
1: I, you live in Austin, Texas. So you right. get the barbecue you want in San Francisco? Exactly.
0: Yeah, and I, and I think I, I think I think uh, each of us. This isn't to dismiss our stuff, but we are biased because we often work remotely. Sure. And and that also means that we're informed about the reality of it happening.
1: Who joined? Who joined? Who yeah. joined?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's so. That's a good topic. Like, so I don't know what what a.
1: Yeah. So that's, that's part of it, right? Yeah. Um, I also feel like, and I talked about this a little bit um, in some of my stump speeches last year, but uh-huh. I feel pretty strongly that. We've, we've got some pretty good consensus, So hey, there's a joke, about distributed systems. Yeah. Um, in terms of how to do, you know, large-scale distributed systems in our computery realms, uh, that whole... Perhaps we shouldn't block, waiting for this, you know, head node to decide everything. Right. And perhaps right, right. we should let the nodes inform each other of things and distribute as much decision making to the edge. Yeah. We're terrible at this as humans.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like do you remember the uh, I don't know if people still use this, but the is it like five or eight laws of distributed computing?
1: Right. Yeah. Like we, the, the network is infallible. We, we almost like to the
0: people problem. Like we don't really have aside from like Conway's law. We don't have those yeah, laws yeah. written down for humans <clears throat> working on distributed systems. Right. <laughs> like that, that would be interesting to think about what those what those principles are. And then you hit upon right. one of them, which is like, do you need to be face-to-face or not? Like yeah. that, that, I think that's, huh. So what, what do you think some of these other, to impose my, my framing yeah, yeah. on it, these other but laws I, would I like,
1: be? I like that framing a lot. And I think uh, some of it has to do with knowing when you have consensus. So it's right. pretty... Sometimes it's easier in face-to-face because you can see that somebody is reticent or yeah. you can see that somebody is you know, closing their notebook or whatever it is that's going on. Um, you can kind of tell someone is not on board with the plan you're coming up with, and I think that's yeah, a that's lot true. harder to do um, because you don't have the same kind of handshaking. You don't have the same kind of yeah, visual cues. Yeah. You know, If you have an, if you have an email... If an email drops in your forest of far too many unread emails and no one replies, does that mean that they agreed with you?
0: (laughs) Right, right, right.
1: Like, I don't feel like we have good uh, rubrics for dealing
0: with this sort of thing in
1: our organization. We
0: definitely don't have that standardized. (laughs) Like, like, I I don't, I mean, you're usually pretty perceptive of... um, to the point of wanting to have this talk, sort of like organizational-like tactics. Sure. And, you know, like in this meeting we were having, like you, mm-hmm. you probably noticed, I was trying to like have us write down a decision that we made. Right. Like something that they would, to use the lingo, is actionable, right? Right. Like, you know, they say when you're doing your planning, right. there's some some stupid acronym rubric of like it should be understandable and actionable yeah, and like...
1: specific measurable. Yeah, like blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. I mean, it's basically like if you make a decision, you should be able to do it. Well, and... and
1: And you're 100% right, and also, does everyone in the room or on the call or whatever agree what that decision was?
0: Right, right,
1: right. Has everyone even had formulated for them, which is why it's nice you were doing this in this meeting, has everyone had formulated for them what we think we've summed up?
0: Yeah, and then so I would imagine in a computers are easy, people are hard thing, it's sort of like if you're making a system like this,
1: then you know don't, these things matter. <laughs>
0: don't don't let the architecture be the point of enforcement that everyone agrees to it. Like, you need to make sure everyone knows what's going on in agreeing because, I guess, at least in my way of thinking, part of the system that you're designing are the people involved in it. Right, So you've absolutely. got to, like, design the people or something.
1: Well, at least put some guidelines around their interactions.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah. Because,
1: and I think this is this is one of those organizational optimization things that I think is really interesting because kind of you know to to pick on you know a a concept that was trendy a few years ago of like say holacracy uh if you say you have no structure um that's not true you have no formal structure but you're still going to have the informal structures uh imposed by people's interactions and personalities
0: right so so what do you think in our in our like tech world what do you think the 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 resistance maybe it's not active resistance but think there isn't more like formality in operating procedures like you you have uh you have a brother who's like a ranger right like and and i assume when you're a ranger you like spend a lot of time (laughs) repetitively training and doing operating like like when we go around the corner we do it this way or or whatever it is and whereas so i always imagine i don't really know but i imagine in lots of militaries it's sort of like there is operating procedure that you follow and like now the opposite of that, I feel like, is a lot of us in the tech world where we were just—we not only don't have it, like the moment someone brings it up, they're like, "I'm done," like yeah, I don't yeah. even want to have it. And and so, like, I mean, right? Why 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 do we do that?
1: Well, um, I mean, hashtag not all war metaphors. First sure, sure. All. I mean, that's just a, an example
0: that came to mind. Or, or or I'm sure in nuclear power plants,
1: sure, there absolutely. are procedures
0: that they follow, so they're not just Homer Simpsoning it through
1: everything. <laughs> Right. And I think that one thing, actually, I know the U.S. military has moved away from a really strict command and control right. uh, in order to let these smaller units make, of course, there are, there's a lot of training and procedures. And then there's a lot of making, uh, you know, the, the game day decision and making the, uh, you know, calling the play on the field sort of, you know, to go with our right, sports right. metaphors. Like, because I suppose in the in the operational theater, in the fog of war, as it were, um, very much like our software world, you can't always, with great accuracy, uh, predict the future. Yeah,
0: Soccer. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: And so having um, so you're you're taking us directly to what I think is a really important point. Uh, Agile is not just a manifesto, and it's not just you know a bunch of rituals around scrums and stand ups. Because we should definitely have our meetings standing up and not sitting down, or whatever. I mean trying to operate in um a nimble way allows allows us uh, organizationally and as individuals to try to react to the realities yeah. of these of these complex systems that we're constructing these socio-technical systems that we cannot perforce um predict the behavior the emergent behavior of ahead of time
0: yeah yeah and, and i guess i guess maybe if you over rotate on that fact it makes you resistant to wanting to formalize uh <laughs> It almost feels like, an over, like a, a, a pre-over-optimization sure. of, of, like, if everything's going to be changing, if we're going to be like Spotify and every year we have a different culture that we go out <laughs> and give a talk on, right? And, yeah, yeah. and I, I, I've noticed in the past few years they self-admittedly say, like, we know we do this, <laughs> this right? Is the
1: 2017 plan. <laughs> right,
0: right, right. But, but yeah. if, if you're going to do that, if you get to it, as, especially as a programmer type, you start to learn that I shouldn't over-optimize things ahead of time. In fact, that's mm-hmm. one of the laws right. of, in our right? right I forget right. where that is. But you can take that too far. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't have procedure. Right? Like,
1: I mean, in in right now we're having you know a team meeting and we're we're planning to plan and all right, of that right, right. great office spacey stuff. But um, I think that some of the planning that makes sense for for teams, for organizations, even for people is. Let's think about what, on a, on a macro level, we would like to accomplish. Let's look yeah. for some things that we think might help us get towards that. And so, like, if we drill down to something really tactical, a lot of times I'll talk to people, whether they be out in the field, in the public, in general, or customers, prospects, whatever, and they're like, we definitely need to get us some of those containers because we've heard <laughs> that those are great, you know, yeah, so the, yeah. the Tupperware story that we tell. And yeah. then, like, the, the, that microservices, we're positive that we would like to have a... a IPC for network latency. Like, we, we know we want these things. Yeah. And you're like, let's take just six steps back and say, what are you trying to accomplish? Because those are great methods to accomplish a thing. If you don't know what the thing is and you just see that other people use those and so you probably want them too, then you're, you're letting other people's, other organizations, um, perhaps well thought out, perhaps not well thought out. Uh, technology roadmaps and plans dictate your yeah. processes and procedures.
0: Yeah, you're being more more reactive to, to mm-hmm. what other people are doing. I
1: mean, we're all going to react to what's going on in the wider market right. and maybe some of the uh, you know existential realities of being able to hire. Like, if you tell a bunch of people, we want you to come and write some some SoA and some Pearl for us, and they'll be like yeah, I'm not going to come work for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, unless it's Pearl Six, of course, which is very exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, so, yeah, your technology stack, in in some regards, is going to uh, dictate your ability to compete in the market of talent because yes. people want to work on something that they think will, you know, if not bring them acclaim, fame, and glory, then at least not be terribly boring or intractable, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, I get, I, that hits on, like, I think... Um, I forget the word for it but like there's uh, people aren't like more deliberate about a lot of stuff in our in our tech world in, in, in the sense of some people might call it strategic but like you were making me think of like to some extent the technology stack you pick is strategic and this is yeah. like a lot of uh, you might call it like enterprise apologizing <laughs> of, of being an apologist in the sense of like well, the, one of the one of the reasons something like Java is used everywhere is it's it's relatively easy to hire people to do it, right? Like, and,
1: and if your enterprise needs ten thousand Java developers. Exactly. Um, you 're not going to find ten thousand rust developers right. or Erlang developers and, to come right for you
0: and, and built into the language and the ecosystem of Java is this idea of this is for people with ten thousand people so you know it 's sort of a deliberate that 's part of the deliberation that I think people could take versus like you know I want to do this all in Erlang or, or whatever which is <laughs> but, but then again that 's another set of like uh, uh, things you start with reason to choose that, but anyway, it also reminds me of I remember I finally saw like a real like a uppercase lean person give a talk. This guy uh, Jeffrey Liker, who oh, wrote wow. one of the okay. one of the, the one of the many like one of the three like canonical yeah, TPS lean, books, like
1: Enterprise and Lean, something else. and oh, I mean, no, no, he's like a lean them.
0: manufacturing. Oh, person. okay. And 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 he was he was at an Agile Software Conference I was at up oh, okay. in uh, Ypsilanti in Detroit. So I think it was one like he probably lives up there because he's I think he's at Ann Arbor.
1: Everybody lives somewhere.
0: Yeah, but you know he had like a little bit of a joke that kind of, like, frames this up where he was like, oh, you're a bunch of software people, so you can just change things you want. I mean, <laughs> and he didn't say that like you can. He was like, you're always just changing things around. But as he was going over, like, the origin of lean manufacturing, we've all heard, like, the sure. story over and over again. But he had an interesting...
1: The origin myth.
0: Yeah, he so, had, like, a very good Professor way where explaining how and why it came about had made you appreciate the what's of lean a lot more. Yeah. And it occurred to me that... Um, there's almost enough regularization to technology nowadays that we probably could start systematizing things. Because in lean manufacturing, it's kind of like we have factories. Yeah. You're going to make some goods. You've got a forecast. You want the quality. Like, there's, it's a very set-down system. Versus with us, for many years, we've all been like, wow, we're going to change the operating system every 10 years. And then this changes, and then the web comes. And like it's almost like... Things change so frequently that you can't. It is over optimization to try to like come up with a process. But like it seems to me now that you, we could almost like learn a lot as we have been doing over the past ten years from lean manufacturing. And sure. to your point, be like, you should have kind of an idea of what it is you want to do.
1: <laughs> I, I mean, planning not entirely terrible, but that, I think there is a difference though. Um, in that obviously the design of a product is a creative endeavor yeah. but generally speaking the manufacture of a mass-produced mass-market product is going to have a lot of uh, you know precision and identical output
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I
1: think that uh, software is fundamentally a creative endeavor yeah whether or not you're creating you know the, the next works of Hemingway or whatever if you're, you may not be writing the great American novel in Erling. But you probably are making a lot of creative uh, decisions. Yeah.
0: yeah. But I think
1: I think that makes you know coders not really fungible, and that makes it harder. As much as people would love to say you can just rotate people in, a, in and out of pairs and have it be flawless and perfect at all times. Yeah. We do that a lot at pivotal, and we've learned that you've got to have an anchor on the team. You've got to have um, you know the general team like roadmap and put it in tracker and whatever. It, it isn't the sort of thing that can just float around in the people's heads right? Um, and have them easily swap in and out and, you know, sub for you know, tap in and sub for one. Yeah, else. and I, and it I guess... it doesn't that, actually work.
0: No, no that's true. No, and you're <laughs> illustrating the, the thing that I always... I never answer it well enough to get a good answer, if, if that makes sense, but the thing I always try to ask lean manufacturing people is, like, so how do you decide what to do? Or, or to put it another way, how do you innovate, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like... In, in the Toyota production system mythos, it started off with, like, they were making looms, and they wanted to automate that, and then they decided to make cars. And so, like, the way I asked this liker guy is, like, how did they choose looms and then cars? Like, how do you decide the thing that you optimize? And, yeah. like, he, he had a, he had, I think, which was, it was a good answer, but it doesn't address, I think, one of the things that you talk about that makes us in the tech world resistant to things is, like, we're always innovating, right? And so, like, something new can come up, and I I don't know how in, like, whether it's upper or lowercase lean, how you figure out the creativity part. Like, how you figure out the innovation to do.
1: And in some ways, I think, you know, just kind of the innovation or, you know, new ideas are going to maybe come to you while you're on a run or playing chess. Or there's a lot of... um, Human endeavor and human creativity—that is not something that you can choose to do between nine thirty-five and ten fifteen this day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so again, this this comes back to the the actual execution of doing computery things. We, we've got this. Like, we, we actually have a pretty good way to do this. You know, in our in our um, communities of practice, and making sure that we can. Uh, deal with the what do you like to call it the meatware like the, sure, sure. the people the, the people parts um, aren't as easy to program yeah and we wouldn't want to anyway but um, making sure that we can motivate people to see it as being in their best interest to collaborate with each other um, whether it's you know in pairing or something else yeah or yeah. motivate people to uh, create systems that can be resilient to the kind of inevitable failures that we're going to see both in, um, you know, our distributed mesh networks across the planet or whatever, as well as, hey, what if someone doesn't do step 14A on the deployment checklist right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perhaps
1: we should build automation that gets rid of the deployment checklist instead of yeah. trying to make sure that people do step 14A right. Like, yeah, people no, are terrible at repetitive no, tasks. I, I, like, I, just give those to the computer. No, I think, <laughs> I,
0: I, think, I, think, I think you just detailed out something that's almost uh, the importance of, of, of this idea is, is easily thrown away by how little people talk about it, which is you should automate everything, right? Huh? And, like, and everyone's like, yes, yes, we should always automate. <laughs> but, but really, like, but it's almost like, you mean like, no, no, I mean really. Like, figure out all the things you have and almost like the the way I always try to do these kind of problems is like you should always say you're going to automate it unless you can figure out a reason not to do it, and then right. that forces you to to autom- to actually automate everything that can be automated. Because I feel like if you tell people to automate everything, they're like, I don't know, I got Jenkins. What's the next th- What's the <laughs> next funny person names law that I should like implement? Right? Like they don't really take seriously that kind of right. that kind of notion. When-
1: and I think that some of that comes down to um, repeatability. Mm-hmm. While like humans are not fung- uh, fungible or plug and play with yeah. you know uh, swapping them out for one another, we would ideally like to have the repeatable um, tasks that we want done consistently, not done by people wherever possible. Right, and right. I think this is—I think you, I know you and I both mm-hmm. go out and talk to customers a lot, and sometimes leadership gets real excited about having fewer staff devoted to one particular set of tasks.
0: Right, and right. sometimes
1: people in the room dig their heels in and you can kind of see it's going to be an uphill battle and enterprise IT or whatever is going to be very resistant to these changes that you're proposing because they see it as, um, as, as Schaefer likes to put it, that, that they've over-identified their identity with their current set of tasks. Sure. As Instead of um, being that their identity is they're making all of this work better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think one of the especially cuz we are we're definitely in a time of increasing change and that's an easy thing to say and it sounds cliche because I feel like people have been saying that for a really long time. But if you look at all of the, you know, we have a multitude of exciting public cloud options today. We have, you know, I've had meetings in recent weeks with, you know, three letter agencies that are very serious about reducing their data center footprint and yeah. increasing their public cloud footprint. So it's like, this is, this is kind of table stakes at this point. It's, if you're going to yeah. say, you know, my little business in state A can't do this, it's like, really? Cause the spooks can. So yeah. <laughs> like, you probably can. You probably just have socio technical barriers inside totally. your organization that are making you not want to make these fast. Changes.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. That's,
1: that's why I think, I mean, I find tech to be endlessly fascinating. But I find all of the places where the, the human resistance rubs up against tech to be like, you know, uh, and creates all of that, you know, metaphorical friction to be super interesting. Because yeah. we see a lot of this. I mean, we're, we're sitting in a privileged place in history and with our, you know, employment status currently where we can see so much of this being played out. And like tell tell me what you think of how you're seeing this play out in organizations
0: no i I think you summed it up well is there's uh i overuse this word, but there's there's a there's an asymmetry of reality and mm-hmm. and like like you were just pointing out is like i think pretty much all of the good ideas in in the the tech world and let's say like business tech world mm-hmm. or like that everyone kind of intuitively knows is right, but for some reason they think they can't do it. Mm -hmm. I think, I think, uh, actually you can. And there's plenty of people in their same situation who are doing that, right? Mm -hmm. Like, as you say, the spooks. And the asymmetry, to some extent, comes from... I don't actually know where it comes from, but there's almost, there is not, um... There's not enough people documenting that it's possible and actually how easy it is. To the point of your talk, like, computers are easy, people are hard, right? And it's as if the people just aren't talking with each other. <laughs> and, and sharing, Sharing. it's understandable why spies wouldn't do it, but, but sharing that, like, this is actually possible and it's not a big deal. And I think, I mean, another another thing that causes that is probably, I mean, we, you and I, are have been around long enough to have lived through... Basically, like, 2007 to 2010, mm-hmm. when cloud was, like, this magic elixir that no <laughs> one could explain, you right? You
1: should just... I, and I worked at the University of Minnesota Supercomputing Institute yeah. at that point, and so we had been for years running the magical things that just, you know, were avail- generally available to these faculty members who would sit at their Sun workstation in their office or whatever oh, yeah. and uh, SSH in and launch their jobs and then the jobs would magically run on these, you know, several thousand yeah. clusters. And so it wasn't entirely unfamiliar, this idea of this stuff is out there as a service, but what I really think Amazon did a great job with is the api driven democratization of it, so that you didn't have to have yeah. somebody teach you how to write a job file so that you can and then give you an allocation
0: like no exactly and, and no then that's exactly the point is I think I mean I guess this is the definition of a hype cycle is the i think I think the position we're in now that you are describing where actually all this stuff is easily possible and you shouldn't be afraid of it right like in a large part not all of it is, is fed in a large part by over hyping what cloud was a long time ago, so that right. now that it actually is understood, normal people just are, are afraid of it or don't understand it or something. Yeah. And, and so, like as you were just saying, it turns out that a lot of what cloud stuff is—Amazon's is, uh, a good exemplar—is it just like it's just an easier way to consume compute,
1: right? Right,
0: like and compute and, like,
1: and storage and on whatever yeah. other resources. Yeah,
0: and like you're in a traditional HPC environment, like you have to know how to write your little bat, your little job thing correctly mm. and how to schedule it and talk with you guys mm. to have this. It's like once everything's set up, the result is the same. Mm-hmm. But, like, the front end of it is difficult, whereas now in, in, in the, the kind of, like, plateau of productivity cloud we're at, it's like, yeah, you just call this API. And, yeah. like, that's not, like, the kind of razzle-dazzle you would want in, like, a 2009 keynote about what cloud is, <laughs> right? That like,
1: Cloud is actually kind of boring. Yeah, it's just <laughs> like, yeah,
0: it'll just be easier to submit batch jobs. <laughs> well, and, <laughs> and, and so anyway, I mean, that, oh, yeah. that kind of overhyping it, does a disservice to in the future when it's actually plain normal because it seems like some mysterious other thing.
1: Well, and it's also, we shouldn't um, ignore the reality that the enterprises that are worried about cloud have a legitimate reason to be worried in that, say, let's just use Amazon as an example, um, the IAM permissions are incredibly granular and they're incredibly complex yeah. And it's quite easy to get yourself into a world of hurt in terms of your IT security choices, in terms of what exactly you're exposing to the public. Like, if you just think of the permissions on an S3 bucket, it's awfully easy to make an S3 bucket that the general public can upload whatever they'd like into. Yeah,
0: yeah, right. So,
1: um, giving your, uh, putting some, you know, guardrails, like I know at Pivotal we like to talk a lot about, like, this happy path for developers. Um Something, whether and whether it's platforms or something else, whatever um, guidance you're setting up, such yeah. that you've uh, instead of just saying, "Here's Amazon," uh, what does Schaefer like to call it? A bag of sharp knives. Like, here's sure. Amazon. Try to use it well. It's terrifying. Don't worry. It's probably yeah. fine. Like, you have to you have to set up like. These are the set of default permissions, and this is perhaps the um, what you can spin up without talking to anyone, because it's really easy to either spend a lot of money or uh, leak a lot of data. Yeah. Neither of which uh, an enterprise probably wants their employees to do.
0: Yeah. So I mean, that, yeah, that seems like it'd be a good talk, and 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 it kind of I mean to, to again summarize some of it my own words. What you're saying is, is the uh, enabling the happy path requires a fair amount of governance, right? I mean, and and like. Or you can got to make the,
1: choices. Yeah, you can use a <laughs> trite
0: metaphor of, like, all art comes from constraints or something like that. Sure. But, but, yeah, yeah. All right, well, so, as my last thing, you know, you know how I like to do on podcasts. What's something you'd recommend to people? I, I was trying to explain this to Josh, but you understand the question.
1: <laughs> I do. Um, I think right now I am... I'm pretty excited. Uh, My spouse Joe and I are going to go on a 20th anniversary trip to Iceland and I've started reading about all of the stuff you can do in this not very large country. Um, which includes things like hiking on glaciers uh-huh, sure, and uh, hot springs. Not yeah. sure if you look at them or go into them, or I'm not really sure. Yeah. Um, but then there's also riding tiny horses. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. You were saying he's
0: afraid of them or well, something? What's I the guess, story?
1: I think he's reluctant? skeptical about skeptical. the tiny horses because apparently tiny horses have full-sized uh, teeth and hooves. Okay. Um, but basically, I guess my recommendation to people would be when you're trying to plan your family vacations... Take a look at the quirky and uh, the, the you things. know the, the oddball things that you wouldn't not necessarily the giant ball of twine, but like the experiential <laughs> things that you might you might not otherwise try. <laughs> yeah, because They could be really interesting. I'm not sure if we're going to go with the tiny horses or the crawling into the caves, and I'm not sure. No. I'm a little I'm a skeptical, possibly terrified of the caves. But like there's I feel like there's a lot of places outside of, let's go have a good meal, let's have a drink. There's a lot of really interesting stuff to try.
0: Now, traditionally, at the end of the show, you're supposed to wrap up. But this (laughs) this leads me to two things that I I I think maybe they're tasks. And then there's a metaphor not to unravel everything. But one, I don't know if this is some sort of Seth Godian, like, Malcolm Gladwell turns out myth. But what I remember is that they... Greenland actually has very little green, and it's all ice, and Iceland actually has very little ice, and is all lots of green, and there was some sort of ploy in naming them that way. Yeah,
1: I've heard that. But
0: again, that sounds like a trite story. Well, I've
1: heard that, but I also in this recent, like, you know, half an hour of Googling I did before I outsourced the entire trip plan to Joe, which was, of course, the right way to do this sort of thing. Um, But in the the short amount of Googling I did, there was an awful lot of things that were closed for most of the winter, and the winter Started in like September and went till May. So they
0: do have ice. I'm assuming
1: there. that there's probably <laughs> ice. I mean, I live in Minneapolis, so they might not have ice up to my and, standards. But and
0: now the second thing is, is I, there's the specific type of, type of like Icelandic sweater. And mm. since you're going to be there, you can do some reconnaissance for me and figure <laughs> out like how do you how do you select a good one? Because I think if I just went on the internet and I searched for Icelandic sweater, I would get swindled. Right, right. And right. not swindled, but I wouldn't like being the, the good experience. Like, right. I feel like if I was looking for a real Irish sweater, like, mm-hmm. I could figure that out. Because, like, right. I, cause I was there and looked at a lot of them a long time ago, but I don't know how to select the proper Icelandic sweater. Oh, this and is so an that, action
1: that, item for me. Thank yeah, you, Coach. You hey, I'll add it to my personal Trello board.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, we need to go eat our lunch and be late to our team meeting. But, but, Sort of, as always, this has been the the Cote Show podcast. If you want to see more, you can go to cote.show. See that fancy URL I got? I like that. And uh, if you enjoyed this, uh, one, you'd like uh, the other podcast that I have, Software Defined Talk. And how about your, uh, what's your stuff?
1: Uh, you, can, you can definitely check out the Arrested DevOps podcast that I yeah. co-host from time to time. Um, or uh, just Bridget Crumhout. I have a Google unique name, I am on all the things, you can yeah. find me on all the things.
0: Yeah, and you like, 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 like you got a very organized website that show, shows your, your <laughs> interest and in everything. Yeah. And uh, it, it'd be great if you like this to go into iTunes and give it some good rating or review, or tell your you friends should, about it. You just should like,
1: definitely, definitely give good ratings and reviews to the Cote Show, which I now need to do, since it occurred yeah. to me. I have only reviewed and rated the Software Defined Talk Show. That would
0: be the first review as far as I know. Ooh,
1: exciting. Yeah. And, and my general pitch is, you should definitely listen to all of Cote's shows because I do a lot of travel and I've found that uh, long flights are made much shorter by <laughs> listening to entertaining podcasts, yeah, which
0: yeah. Cote produces. That's, and I think, I think, as you said recently, it's also, it also doesn't uh, prohibit sleepiness, so that, oh. that, which is good on a flight.
1: I mean, you have, a, you have a soothing voice and you don't do that annoying thing some co- podcasts do where they, like the mid-roll, some podcasts... Uh, clearly recorded at a different time yeah. so the, the volume and cadence changes yeah, yeah. and so it wakes you up during the flight. It's yeah. terrible.
0: That, that, is, that is annoying. Huh. All right. Well, we'll see everyone next time.